Connects Media, this is Atlanta Born and Brand. I'm your host, Jonathan Hilliard. Atlanta Born and Brand is a show all about businesses built right here in the capital of the South. But more importantly, it's a show about their founders. We wanted to find some of the city's most interesting entrepreneurs and creators, hear about their challenges, successes, and how they built a brand that will last. It's no secret that the hospitality industry has been one of the hardest hit throughout this pandemic. And with winter approaching, they're bracing for another challenge. At the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, Michael Lennox founded ATL Family Mill, a nonprofit with the goal of feeding, as well as providing jobs and resources for the hospitality community. Restaurants, chefs, food service businesses, community leaders, and more have come together to support those experiencing food insecurity and joblessness due to the pandemic. Today, we sit down with Michael to hear how he got his start in the restaurant business and what we can all do to support this incredible industry and quote, feed the fam through the winter. Uh, first off, thanks so much for, for being on the show with us. We're uh, really looking forward to the conversation. But the first thing we like to ask folks is if you bumped into somebody on the street and introduced yourself and they asked you, hey, Michael, what, what do you do? What's your, what's your short and sweet answer to them? Uh, short and sweet, I think, is aspirational. But uh, the quickest is I'd, I'd probably say I'm behind Lady Bird, Golden Eagle, and Muchacho here in Atlanta. Uh, and then more recently, as of March this year, formed uh, ATL Family Meal, which is a nonprofit that we started to feed and support hospitality workers that had been laid off on account of the crisis and have been working on that plus our hospitality group, which is electric hospitality. That's what we, that's sort of the umbrella over the three restaurants. Uh, so I've been doing both full-time um, all year, or at least since, since March. And I guess the formal title is CEO. Um, so long rambling answer. I need to come up with something shorter, but (laughs) that's I got at the moment. (laughs) No, that's great. Well, first off, tell me a little bit about your background growing up was, was hospitality or restaurant, something that always kind of grabbed your attention or what sort of pointed you in that direction? Yeah. So I actually grew up in Sandy Springs, uh, so native to the area, uh, if you will. So I think we're a relatively rare breed, but uh, (laughs) that's neither here nor there. But yeah, in terms of origins for hospitality, I am not of the camp of, of folks that like they're, parents at a restaurant and they grew up washing dishes and bussing tables and all that. Like, I think that's, uh, awesome. And, and, you know, some days certainly would have been great to come up that way, but, uh, it was sort of the opposite in our house. Like food wasn't really much more than, uh, sustenance or (laughs) something that you did three meals a day, but it wasn't necessarily something that anybody took very seriously as a vacation or, um, uh, uh, any anything that was described as a career path growing up. That being said, when I um, when I was twelve, my parents got divorced, and I'm the oldest of three boys. And 
really didn't have a whole lot of parental supervision from that point forward and said this was like mid 90s and being the oldest of three boys that were very like literally like hungry growing young lads uh it was it was like hey we can either have like cereal or hot pockets or something or (laughs) we can try to figure something out in the kitchen and so it, it kind of fell on my shoulders to mess around with food and uh started to get into food network and uh emerald and tyler florence and all that kind mm-hmm. of jazz back then and basically just over time it became a slow burn thing where one day it went from being like i made a grilled cheese to wow like i made something like a little bit more complicated and it actually wasn't a complete disaster and uh just kind of kept getting more and more into it in the background while I was trying to figure out what, what to do with my life. Um, and I went to law school after college, didn't care for it at all. Uh, it, this was right during the middle of the recession, 2008 through 11. And then ended up moving back to Atlanta, uh, after I got out of law school and ended up working with a small firm focused on tech startups and, uh, investment groups that invest in startups. And it took me about 30 seconds of working to realize I was more like the clients starting mm-hmm. businesses than I was the lawyers wearing suits, you know, drafting yeah. legal documents. So uh, at this point, I'd had a pretty long list of restaurant ideas. I was like, oh, it'd be cool if somebody opened up this or that or whatever. And food and cooking and restaurants were like by far my biggest hobby or interest. The Beltline was starting to come into focus at the time. And so I was like, all right, I, I hate Braxton Law. Don't want to do this. Love food. Really bullish on the Beltline. Like maybe I can try to put something together. And so my wife and I were walking on the East Side Trail right after they cut the ribbon in 2012 and um, walked past the building where Lady Bird is now. Yeah. for the first time, you know, well familiar with the area and, and all that, but hadn't really seen it from that perspective. And so it was like a pretty beat up art gallery for lack of a better description at the time. But right as we got there, I was like, man, this is it. Like I got this hmm. idea for an outdoor oriented space. Let me see if I can figure something out. So I figured out who in the, the building reached out, said I had an idea for a restaurant. If you had any space available, I'd love to take a look. And he, he was like, I got one spot. It's coming up at the end of the month. Happy to show it to you. It ended up being that same space. There wasn't a rent sign on it or anything. It was just uh, kismet and started negotiating a lease on the spot. Didn't have a business plan or investors or anything and uh, felt like I had lightning in a bottle. So decided to just swing for the fences and go for it. And uh, yeah, it took, took about 18, 19 months from that point forward to get Lady Bird open, but that was that was my first uh, foray formally or officially into hospitality and haven't, haven't looked back since. Yeah. It's a crazy story. A uh, <laughs> lot, lot to unpack there, but uh, the, wow, right after they cut the ribbon on the belt line. That's, uh, that's wild. Um, so I want to take you back for a minute. You know, you were talking about how kind of, you know, those early teenage years and on, like food starts to become more important to you. In Sandy Springs, 
in the Atlanta community, I know the, the food scene in Atlanta is way different now than it was when you and I were growing up uh, in a lot of good ways. But do you have um, any memories from the, the food scene in Atlanta? What was your go-to as a teenager or, or even, you know, in your 20s? Of, uh, what did you enjoy in the city as far as food goes? So growing up, uh, it's not – uh, the most exciting or, or uh, eye-catching place, but we would go to El Azteca for Mexican food pretty regularly. And so that's that, always going to have some sort of nostalgic yeah, yeah. piece uh, in my uh, past to reference. And then as I got a little bit older, um, didn't certainly didn't go often, but maybe once a year, once every other year for some kind of special occasion, we would go to canoe. And mm -hmm. that always stood out to me as like, wow, this is really like, this is really neat and really special. Yeah. Um, and then as I was getting older and, and, you know, got a driver's license and pretty much from the age of 16 on, I went off to college away from Atlanta and up in Virginia and then law school up, at Wake Forest in North Carolina. And so my way of staying in tune, what was, ha what was happening in the city was by from afar kind of reading up on new restaurants opening and, and this, that, and the other. And, and so one of my, the things I would always do when I'd come back into town for the holidays or summer or whatever, my brother and I would go like hopscotch around Buford highway and check out three or four places at a time. And we, we were also like huge into uh, Anthony Bourdain like from the get-go and so tried to like <laughs> you know being a 19 20 21 year old whatever uh, really emulate the the idea that the world is this colossal place and there's just amazing food everywhere and a lot of it frankly is is right under uh, your nose in Atlanta just given that it's it's such a huge metropolis and you a lot of it's on Buford Highway yeah, I mean, seriously, awesome. like yeah. it's such a uh, treasure trove of culture and food sure. and hospitality, and uh, you can just learn a ton just by being well versed in the various yeah. things that, that are happening up and down Beaver Highway. So, without a doubt, without a doubt, that's super cool. Yeah, I've, I've been reading a lot, you know, just about sort of the development of Beaver Highway and what the future holds for for that, um, you know, whole district and. You know, it's almost like a, another frontier. You know, you talked about the Beltline and the importance of uh, the Beltline to the city. Um, you know, just preserving that culture up and down Buford Highway, but also finding ways to, you know, take advantage of uh, advantage of that culture and continue to advance that as a real uh, attraction for the city is going to be super interesting. But uh, yeah, so you sign this lease for the building that becomes Ladybird, you said it was an 18 or 19 month process to get open. What, what, what happened in the 18 and 19 months? What were you surprised by? What, uh, what snags did you run into to turn, you know, kind of an old beat up art gallery into this space? Uh, well, I'm assuming you don't have three or four hours for this episode. <laughs> so I'll try to be brief, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was, a first generation restaurant. So meaning there wasn't any infrastructure for there wasn't a commercial kitchen or 
grease trap or right. anything, right? And so we we just took it as a raw space and I didn't have any hands-on experience running like a meaningful construction project at that point. I mean, I, I had no experience doing any of this, right? Hmm. And so I, I was like a kid in a candy store uh, trying to pull all the pieces together and develop the brand and uh, run the, you know, run point on design and build out and so forth. But it was, it was definitely trial by fire every step of the way and had, I mean, it hit every speed bump you could imagine along the way. The building is old and pretty uh, jacked up, shall we say. So uh, just getting the infrastructure in place was challenging. One of the funny things is Ladybird shaped like an L, like the interior footprint is. And the reason why is because, because like nobody in their right mind would ever just wide lens be like hey i want to open a restaurant and out of all the things i want to do i want to make sure the interior is shaped like a capital l like it's just not a good shape for anything uh, but yeah. the reason why is because the the building was built in the 50s and it was originally a textile warehouse and then over the last 30 40 years the owner took it from being like one open space and then started chopping it up into smaller and smaller units over time and there was a guy that lived in the unit like right next to us and like we there was no way to like this was just what was available at the time and like we had to do <laughs> do with it what we could uh oddly enough he ended up moving out like six months after we opened and then we at that point needed to expand the kitchen because we started with a really really small kitchen um so ended up having a more conventional footprint at the end of the day but because it's shaped like an l we had it created all sorts of like goofy challenges operationally just trying to work out of uh, a, a really teeny weeny kitchen and ending up get, being a lot more busy than I was forecasting. Uh, Cause I originally, honestly, it was like lying to myself, I guess, and convinced myself it was going to be like a small laid back, like neighborhood spot. And hmm. bear in mind, this was like right at the beginning of the belt line we opened right around the same time Frog Street Market opened and before Pont City Market opened. We were the first place to open on the Beltline because of the Beltline. And we didn't have the, the big outdoor space that we have now. Uh, that didn't come until about a year and a half after we opened. So it was definitely a different, smaller place, but still managed to uh, exceed expectations. And, and then the last thing I'll say before we opened my wife and I had our first kid two months before opening day. Like we were thinking that the restaurant was going to open earlier. And then we were like, Hey, maybe we could have our first kid a year after Ladybird opens, but it ended up taking longer to open the restaurant. And then we got pregnant really quick. And next thing you know, we're kind of doing both at the same time. So right. learning how to open and run a restaurant while uh, having our, first kid was no picnic and the, and the first 12 months was definitely like white knuckle you know, 18 hour days <laughs> yeah. like that kind of stuff so and did you go cold turkey on the on the law job or were you trying to balance that while you're getting the restaurant together so i um i ended up moving on from my law job maybe a year 
after I started and then as an intermediate gap worked in commercial real estate, like completely unrelated to law practice for maybe six or seven months. Gotcha. And, and this was right around the same time that I had signed the lease and was starting to make some headway. Yeah. Uh, just getting the project going. And by the time we got our plans drawn up and submitted to the city and then received the building permit so that we could start construction. Mm-hmm. Right when that happened, I was like, all right, I'm, I'm out and just quit, quit my job and was fortunate because my wife was working in sales at the time. And given that, it, I mean, we had a baby coming up, but it was basically just us. And so yeah. we, we were in a fortunate position to be able to keep, you know, rolling down the tracks as a household sure. while getting the restaurant open. But yeah, it, I, I was like, not looking back. Like I, I definitely was all in. Yeah. Well, and despite some of the infrastructure challenges you're talking about and just the delays and opening, obviously after you get Ladybird open, you know, you talked about early success. What was it for you personally? Obviously the steps you've taken in your career since then, would seem to suggest that it's something you really enjoyed and wanted to expand upon. What were those first few months like for you and what was it that really grabbed you and and made it something that you were like, okay, this is something that, that I really enjoy and would love to replicate moving down the line. Yeah. So I, I had a hunch, like I, I wouldn't say a hunch. I had some sort of supernatural conviction that just everything about restaurants sort of spoke to me and still does. It's just, uh, I don't know if it's ADD or what you want to call it, but like the huge variety of stuff that's going on and stimulation on a daily basis is it's like really draining, I guess on one hand, but it's really exciting and there's just never a dull moment and, uh, coupling that with doing something that like for me at least it was like I had been coming up uh, in a household and then trying to figure out my way professionally with no basis of understanding around entrepreneurship as a path and thinking that you know a creative outlet for me would be coming up with some nifty solution for a law client or something like, uh, so I just never really viewed creativity as anything more than if you can like paint or play music, like sure. Well, traditional definition. And so this, this ended up being just like this explosion of, uh, it, it, it became a huge creative expression opportunity for me. And that, that was really exciting. And then once you couple that with the, food side and the service side and, and having this immersive ability to be a part of the community and uh, really put your stamp on what that looks like and feels like and, and just interacting with people every day. Uh, it, it just really was a bullseye for me. And so the first couple months, I mean, it was like real rough and tumble though, because I didn't have any management experience and was learning everything on the fly on the job and uh you know made every mistake in the in the book 
trying to get my legs under me. So, uh, but I, 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 there were some really dark days at the beginning where, especially the first winter, because we opened in September and September, 2014 and had relatively speaking pretty good first two months. And then I was like, you know, we've got more outdoor seating than most and knew that going in, like that was the goal. But I, I just didn't recognize that our first winter, our sales were going to take a nosedive and they did. Uh, and that has ended up being like more or less a consistent, just fortunately with higher highs and higher lows sure. uh, each successive year for Ladybird. But the first winter was a real jolt. I mean, we like almost ran out of money, probably. I mean, we were like a whisker away from going out of business by mm-hmm. New Year's and, uh, just navigating through it, it. It was a daily thing of just like, Hey, I don't know when or how I'm going to pull out of this, but like, if I can just do like a little bit better than I did yesterday and solve just one more problem at some point or another, we're going to start to see some daylight. And, uh, there's really failure was not an option. You know, it was like, <laughs> it's just, it can't, it can't happen. Yeah. So we've got to figure out how to make this work and, uh, do whatever I got to do to make it, make it happen. So, that, yeah, that, that started to, things really started to click though with Ladybird, I would say, uh, after the first year. And then we had an opportunity to expand our outdoor space because uh, the space right next to our patio is actually owned by the Beltline. And I had been approaching them and talking with them off and on since before we opened about, hey, wouldn't it be neat if we could do something outside here and have that be an extension of our space. And they finally came around after we had a little bit of, I guess, track record and momentum. And we're like, Hey, do you, do you still want to figure something out? And I was like, yeah, let's, let's do it. So it took about a month to nail down an agreement. And then we ended up opening what we call the Grove, uh, March, 2016, about a year and a half after we uh, originally opened Ladybird and, uh, ended up doubling, overnight pretty much in terms of sales and went from 30, 35 staff members to about 70 in a period of two months. And so that was like back to square one, trying to, we had to like throw out the book and reinvent ourselves and figure out how do we go from being whatever we were before, before to this new thing that's much bigger and more dynamic and has a lot more going on. Yeah. And and, uh, yeah, just kind of kept, kept trying to roll, roll with the punches and <laughs> figure out how to put one foot in front of the next. And then sure. started to have other opportunities present themselves, which led to Muchacho and Golden Eagle. Hmm. Well, it's a good transition. And I want to, I want to talk about a, um, the family meal concept, but lastly, before we move on to that, you know, opening one spot, I know you talked about the challenges that were involved in that and then growing with, with the Grove, but you're still kind of adding on to a concept you know, what was that, that push that, um, you needed or you got, I guess, to say, okay, like we've, we've figured out something and, and, you know, we've kind of developed a playbook and we can apply this to other places. What led to you making that decision uh, and then moving on to other, other restaurants? Um, I don't think there was like a specific moment in time, but uh, the best way I can describe it is we, the, there, 
particularly the first like three or four months, right when we opened Lady Bird at the beginning, there were certain times where it'd be like a busy Friday or busy Saturday where like just all hell is breaking loose and things were just going completely haywire. And there's a feeling of like where you, it's like, hey, I like don't even have control of the situation right now. Like this doesn't feel good. And had the same exact, <laughs> so like that, that'll happen. And, in you know, in the business, that's when you're in the weeds, so to speak. Right. Sure. Uh, so one, there'd be moments where after the first year was like, oh, wow, it's been a long time since we've really like gotten, you know, gotten our stuff handed to us. Uh, once we expanded the first weekend that we had the Grove open, it ended up getting like packed out there and we had not, we hadn't figured out anything. And so I just vividly remember having this overwhelming sensation of there's like probably three times as many people here than I've ever seen before. <laughs> I have no idea what's going on right now. There's no way I can personally control the situation at the moment. And I guess I'm just going to have to like get comfortable with that. Yep. Uh, and so we, we had some, some rough patches, no doubt about it, trying to figure out how to operate at a much larger scale than we had before. Uh, but I'd say after two or three months, it was like, wow, the, we keep getting busier and busier. The, the numbers are starting to look really good, like operationally. And it's been a minute or two or three since we've really kind of lost our handle on things and feel like we've got a, the ability to manage this and be proactive instead of just hundred percent reactive. Sure. So that's when I started to have a degree of comfort, like, all right, well not, not to close the book and say, Hey, like I can just go on vacation for the next two years and let this thing ride. But it, it, it did give me the confidence to say, Hey, if, if opportunities come along, I think sure. we've got something to build on here and can really, you know, it, it seriously explore doing whatever yeah. comes next. That makes sense. And you, and you feel the comfort level at that point and your staff and the people that are involved that you can spend a significant amount of time working on a different project, um, you know, and, and moving the ball down the court in a different direction, which is cool. But all right, Michael. So obviously things are going well. Lady Bird has, has become a staple. You're getting off the, uh, off the ground with Muchacho and, and Golden Eagle. And then 2020, as we talked about before we came online, happens. Um, and I know that COVID has just been um, a, sort of a slap in the face to everybody in the hospitality industry. You know, you're talking about um, layoffs uh, from uh, restaurants. You're talking about issue getting um, supplies, getting product. Uh, take me back to those first few weeks of March when things, um, you know, the proverbial stuff really started to hit the fan and what that was like for you uh, as a business owner uh, in, the, in the hospitality industry, just kind of facing those realities of what the pandemic was going to mean like for your businesses. Yeah, so the spring is the busiest time of year for us at our restaurants and yeah. we're typically January, February doing a lot of planning and forward progress and just kind of like tilling the soil to get ready for the spring. 
Hmm. And we, at the same time, were tracking pretty closely like the news and what was happening overseas with COVID. And I'd say toward the end of February, I just, as a very random encounter, bumped into a friend of mine who I hadn't seen in probably 15 years from high school who had, uh, after college, moved to Hong Kong to work in, in securities or something. And he had just moved back to Atlanta and to get back, or to get away from the quarantine and everything that was happening in Hong Kong. Came into one of the restaurants, ended up grabbing coffee and we, we started shooting the breeze and I was asking him a bunch of questions like, Hey, what's it actually like over there right now? And he had such a distressed, like visibly distressed uh, perspective. And just like every, he was just like, why does the guy just talking about how it's going to knock out just tons of businesses and restaurants, especially. And he was just like, like whatever you can think of to try to get around this. Like I need, I would recommend doing it now because it's definitely coming it's definitely yeah. coming here. And this was before there were any cases in the state of Georgia, like zero cases in Atlanta. Like it wasn't, a lot of people just weren't taking it seriously in the U S. Um, so from that conversation forward, I was really racking my brain around, okay, well, if this is at the time, like in Venice, Italy and there it's just wiped out all tourism and there's nobody you know on the plazas or canals or whatever and nobody's doing anything in the restaurants if that starts to happen in new york and other market markets in atlanta or uh, in the u.s atlanta is gonna it's definitely gonna happen in atlanta we need to be thinking about not just what happens if our restaurants are knocked out but like what if like the entire atlanta restaurant community is is wiped out for some period of time and so with that thought process, I started thinking about, okay, well, what if that does come to be, there's really no business to save at that point. It's like, we can figure that out somehow when the time comes, but it, it needs to be a few steps down the road beyond saving our business. And it's really like, how do we deploy whatever resources we can to help our community during this uh, potential tsunami sort of visible tsunami that might be hitting us in the not too distant future. And, uh, so peeling up to 30,000 feet above sea level. If you look at the hospitality industry in Metro Atlanta, you got 300,000 employees, give or take, uh, pre COVID. And so I was just like, all right, if we have 300,000 people here working just in our industry, if most of the restaurants are closed, and most of these people are already living on the margins in terms of their weekly paycheck. Right. This could be a massive humanitarian crisis that we just are not equipped to handle if it happens really fast. And so mm. I uh, started to build around that idea to, to develop what became ATL Family Meal with, with the core concept of, okay, if this does happen, what are we going to do? We have access to food. We got access to kitchens. We've got chefs. We got cooks. We know how to cook food. We know how to get it out the door quickly. 
And so if we can simply figure out where people are that are out of jobs or need food, we can figure out how to get it to them. Yeah. Um, and so from there, I just started kind of talking about it and reached out to Karen Bremer, who's the CEO of the Georgia Restaurant Association at the beginning of March and was like, hey, if, if something happens, this is what I'm thinking, like what feedback do you have? She was like, Michael, we need to start telling people about this right now. And so she started setting up calls and meetings um, that day. <laughs> And that was, that was the wake up call where it went from being an idea to like, Hey, we need to figure out how to turn this into something more than that really quickly. Uh, and then we ended up every, you know, all held brick loose, uh, March 16th, which is, which was a Monday and our restaurants and tons of other restaurants around Atlanta and, and around the country closed. Um, and it, it was just like one thing after the next, a few days leading up to that with, uh, restrictions getting more and more intensive from the city and the state and yeah. uh, like the final four getting canceled and all sorts of just big headline news of this, this and that getting canceled or shut down or whatever. So uh, definitely a crazy time, but um, we, we started launching ATL family meal in earnest, literally the day after we closed our restaurants and just started with our staff and a few other restaurants uh, trying to figure out how we were going to do it. But it, it really started to pick up speed pretty quickly after I reached out to a friend who's in the tech space. And I was like, Hey, we're going to need some tech and logistics support to get this going. And he connected me with his cousins who are in the tech and logistics world. And they built up our platform so that we could quickly get people that have been laid off into uh, a delivery network and, quickly and efficiently get food out to them. And so without them, it would have taken us a lot, a lot longer, but we ended up scaling up really fast. And, and after four weeks of starting, we had a nonprofit form. We had submitted paperwork to the IRS to get our 501c3, had five or six restaurants that were working with us producing meals. And we were putting out 4,000 meals a week to uh, folks in the, in the industry who had been laid off. What, uh, I know having seen this sort of coming, I know in your brain, you're thinking, Hey, there's going to be a real crisis here and an opportunity, um, for maybe us to be uniquely positioned to help. But as that week comes and, and the weeks after that and the painful realization that, Hey, we're not reopening you know, after a week of everybody staying at home or after two weeks of everybody staying at home. What was your reaction to the response of, of other people around what you guys were doing? You said four or five other restaurants are, you know, are pitching in to help. And, um, you know, it seems like you guys mobilized uh, a pretty significant operation pretty quickly. Um, were you surprised that you were able to do that? Or, um, you know, what, what was that, uh, experience like for you just to see other people sort of rally around this idea? Um, I mean, it, it was, and still is frankly, just endlessly inspiring mm. to go from, Hey, this is an idea to like you blink. And then the next minute you've, you've been shot out of a cannon and you've got like 
a ton of people involved from all over the yeah. place that uh, I either, it was a blend of like our chefs and managers and folks that obviously worked with us, but also tons of people that I had literally never met before combined with other folks in the restaurant industry that I either knew well or knew a little bit, or it was just this like really interesting combination of folks that came out of the woodwork and were like, Hey, I don't know what to do. Tell me what to do, but like, I really want to help. And having a pretty clear idea of what the work, what work needed to get done. And thankfully when you boil it all down, it's like, that was, that was my core belief was like, at the end of the day, we're just making food, right? Like we know how to do that. And all these other restaurants do too. We're just reconnecting the dots in a way that is unique and meets the needs of what people are having right now, which is if tons of folks have been laid off, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for me to ask them to come to some far flung location, spend money on gas or Marta or whatever the case may be to go get a meal. It's like, let's get it straight to their, their household. Um, and that was, that was the linchpin of the model was let's come up with a, an efficient distribution system to deliver it to people so that they can receive these meals. But also if we're all in a lockdown or a quarantine and they don't have any money, like, yeah, they, they need food and they're just kind of cooped up right here and that we got to figure out how to do it quickly. So sure. it, uh, it all started to really just come together quickly, but it, yeah, 50, 60, 70 people <laughs> within the first couple of weeks alone helped bring this to life. So it really was a tremendous effort. Uh, uh, again, super inspiring that that many people believed in the idea to, yeah. to help do something. Absolutely. And I saw on your website where you guys have delivered over a hundred thousand meals, I guess now to, to hospitality workers around the city. I'm sure that number is growing uh, pretty quickly, but um, what is the, do you have an interaction with anybody that you guys have, have helped serve in this time that has kind of stuck out to you as far as what this service has meant to those people that have, have been so, um, you know, extremely affected by, um, by the, by the shutdown and by COVID. Yeah. So we've, since we started, we've now put out about 140,000 meals, Wow, which is um, really just crazy when you think about it mm -hmm. uh, in, in terms of, the community we've been serving, we've been providing meals to hospitality workers from more than 200 bars, restaurants, breweries, hotels, you name it, across a 20 county area around Metro Atlanta. So we're covering a lot of yeah. ground in, in terms of the, some of the stories uh, on the impact side that stick out. One of them to me that uh, has resonated, uh, it's up there in the top three list, if you will, is there was a gentleman who was let go. He was a server, I believe. And he was let go from one of the restaurants right at the beginning and started receiving meals from ATL Family Meal. And then after a month or two, uh, 
right right as we were getting going, we started to work with Zifty, the local food delivery company, and also Lyft, the rideshare yeah. company, to deliver meals. And yeah. uh, this this one guy somehow or another, I don't remember if it was like via an email or talking with one of the delivery folks, but he figured out that Zifty was hiring. And so he ended up getting a job with Zifty and ended up his exclusive role with them was to come do mm. ATL family meal yeah. deliveries. And so wow. this sort of uh, symbiosis, if you will, where yeah. a few months prior had a stable job doing just fine, knocked on, you know, his rear based on COVID, like tons of other people. And then, mm were not for this program, you know, who knows what the circumstances would look like, but it was like, we, we were able to provide a meal on a regular basis for him to get back on his feet again. And then this developed into a job for him that ultimately helped feed other people in, in similar circumstances. Yeah. Now, uh, you know, all politics aside, folks have started going going back to restaurants, you know, in, in limited quantities and restaurants have started to figure out, you know, what social distancing means for, for your businesses and how to set up um, sort of reopening safely. I know, um, you know, being outside has, has taken on an, an even greater value for, for folks in Atlanta after experiencing a couple months of, of um, restrictions what uh, what does it look like moving forward for you uh, as a business owner involved in the in the hospitality space with with the restaurants, but also for uh, having had this experience now with ATL Family Meal? What takeaways are you going to take, you know, into the coming years, even hopefully as COVID um, you know dies down and, and hopefully moves away soon? What 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 will hold? What will you hold on to? Yes. Yeah, so- there's a lot going on under the hood, if you will, that I said, taking a step back, like tons of people, myself included in a lot of ways are uh, fatigued by COVID and it's frustrating and it's been going on for a long time and all this. Right. I totally understand that. Um, So I think there's this sense of, and I'm not trying to be pessimistic, I'm just trying to be a realist, but I think there's a sense of false hope uh, around restaurants where if people are walking by and they're like, oh, wow, like they've got people sitting outside on the patio, like they must be doing great. Like that's, that, that may be true, but by and large, most restaurants, you have to be busy most of the time in order for you to break even, let alone end up profitable. Sure. And most full service restaurants right now in Atlanta, really anywhere, unless they're large chains that are either public companies or, or super well capitalized, most full service restaurants are at best doing 60, 65% of their historic sales. And so you have fixed costs like your rent, your insurance, your taxes, et cetera, that you can't 
get away from like they are what they are and if your sales are way down you're not going to get a break on these big line items on your budget that you still got to contend with and so between that plus you know for us we've got we're, we're doing across our three restaurants about 50 percent of our historic sales right now we also have about 40 percent of our historic staff levels we had 125 employees working for us before COVID, we've got maybe 50 people on payroll across all three of our concepts right now. So you, you have a ton of people that are still out of work. You have sales that are a fraction of what they used to be. I mean, tons of restaurants are like 25, 30% of their sales. And so for us, I mean, I, I wouldn't even say fortunately, it's just, we have, a little bit more experience than some dealing with the seasonality of having a lot of outdoor space and then losing that in the winter. So we're pretty used to having to get small and lean December, January, February, just cause the, that's the business flow. Yeah. That being said, this winter is going to be really, really rough and brutal for the restaurant industry all over the country. Mm-hmm. And you're starting to see it up North right now especially uh where you still have some indoor dining restrictions a lot of people aren't comfortable dining indoors at all and outdoor dining you know in chicago or detroit or new york or wherever if there's snow on the ground is not exactly like a a super appetizing (laughs) proposition so uh we do have a mild more mild winter but you're gonna see a lot of restaurants i'm afraid that are not going to be left standing come March, April, May next year, which is, is ultimately going to become a really big problem. In my opinion, be over and above what it is right now, where you're going to see much higher unemployment rates in our industry. They're already like through the roof by any historic measure. And then you're also going to have a ton of vacancies and just this cultural vacuum of dead space where restaurants used to be in various parts of Metro Atlanta and it's just going to be empty, dark space. Um, And that to me is really frightening and unpleasant to think about, but it's like, if we don't think about it and confront that, like we're, we're basically just saying that that's an okay outcome. So we um, are trying to double down with what we're doing with ATL family meal and, and, trying to make sure that we can be as strong of a resource as possible for people affected by this in our community over the the coming months. But beyond that, uh, I really do think this is a big national political issue that is going to require federal spending in the hundred plus billion dollar range to give restaurants and hospitality businesses a lifeline Right. for six, nine, 12 months so that they can outrun COVID and, until the time comes where we have critical mass on vaccines and have numbers under control in terms of cases. And so, yeah, we, this is definitely a marathon. It's not a sprint. We've got a long way to go. This winter is going to be tough, but uh, we we need to confront that and do what we can to in my case, advocate for legislation uh, at the national level to help support restaurants and 
everyone that has a passing interest in restaurants should do the same. Sure. But I think beyond that, it also boils down to supporting as much as you possibly can, the restaurants that you, you love here in your own backyard and, and recognize that like, Hey, if I really want to have these places here, I need to do what I can to yeah. help keep them afloat. Cause they, they might not be here much longer. Yeah. hundred percent. And it's such a uh, important and valuable point that you make that, you know, because you're walking on the belt line and you see a bunch of people at lady, ladybird doesn't mean that, things are back to normal uh, because, you know, as business owners, we plan for uh, even if, especially in your case as a seasonal business, we plan for seasons. We plan for slow months. It's really hard to plan to go to zero for an extended period of time. <laughs> that's, that's not something we do as business owners is, you know what, maybe for six months, I just won't sell anything. <laughs> you know, as an established business, that's a hard thing to plan for. So as you said, what already feels like it's been a winter of sorts, right? We're coming up on actual winter, you know, God forbid the, the cases continue uh, to rise and, and, you know, further shutdowns happen. We pray against that, but also be prepared that, Hey, like this, this rallying around of uh, local businesses that you've seen from organizations uh, in the city and the rallying around of people who need work, um, like we've seen from organizations like the one you've created, um, it's gonna it's gonna need to persist for uh, for years, not just for the couple months that we've been we've been um, at it thus far. But uh, Michael, thanks so much. I know it's it's a somber topic. Um, I hope that you know spring comes quickly, both literally and figuratively, uh, for you guys. I want to give you one last opportunity to to let folks know. Um, how they can support your businesses, both on the restaurant side, but also with ATL Family Meal. How can people learn more about that and and potentially help out? Yeah, so uh, thanks again for having me on. Really enjoyed the conversation. And um, yeah, I'm, main takeaway for me is very much inspired by the outpouring of support that we've seen here in Atlanta and beyond. I think we're, we have a really special community here in Atlanta's uh, just excellent at stepping up to the plate and, and rallying around things that the city and the people here believe in. So mm -hmm. we're, we're very fortunate to be a part of that. In terms of our restaurants, again, we've got uh, Ladybird, Muchacho, and Golden Eagle all on the Beltline. Um, absolutely come on by. We're, we're currently open uh, Wednesdays through Sundays at Ladybird, uh, Wednesdays through Sundays at Muchacho, and then Thursday through Saturday at Golden Eagle. We are going to be doing uh, a spinoff of the Miracle Bar uh, concept with the folks. Uh, they call themselves Big Citizen. That's their restaurant group, but, but they have Wonder Kid, Bonton, The Lawrence. Yeah. Um, so they're doing Miracle Bar at Wonder Kid. We're doing Sip and Santa, the Tiki equivalent at Golden Eagle uh, starting right around Thanksgiving. So that's going to be a fun holiday celebration uh, coming, coming up just around the bend. And then in terms of ATL family meal uh, would love for listeners to go check us out at our website, atlfamilymeal.org. You can learn all sorts of things about the organization and uh, make a donation 
donation of $20 translates to four meals for folks in need. And it's a really quick, immediate, easy way to support your neighbor um, who's, who's been put in a, a unpleasant spot in the hospitality industry based on the events this year. So uh, yeah, I really appreciate the support and hope to see people uh, at our restaurants or out, out about in the near future. Absolutely. Michael, best of luck, um, not just this winter, but moving forward um, with all your endeavors. And if there's anything we can do to, to help out, please let us know. Thank you so much. Really enjoyed it. Yes, sir. We'll talk to you soon. The hospitality industry and its workers are a huge part of what it makes Atlanta so great. We want to do all we can to see them through this challenging time. So when this is all over, we can gather and celebrate together again. To get involved and donate today, head to atlfamilymeal.org. Then head on over to social media and give them a follow at ATL underscore family meal to stay up to date on all their latest efforts. Atlanta Born and Brand is a production of Connects Media. We're a full service digital media company focused on helping small businesses tell their story in the most effective way they can. If you'd like to tell the story of your business, we'd love to help. You can find us at connectatl.com. Make sure to subscribe to Atlanta Born and Brand in Apple Podcasts or wherever you might happen to be listening. If you like the show, we'd really appreciate a review and a rating. And of course, share it with your friends. Keep up with the show on social media. We're at ATL Born Brand on Instagram and Twitter. And you can also like our Atlanta Born and Brand Facebook page. Finally, you can find all the previous episodes of the show on our website, atlborn.com. For Atlanta Born and Brand and Connects Media, I'm Jonathan Hilliard. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you all soon.